Welcome to the HU Movemakers Podcast, where we highlight folks that are blazing the trail and making moves in Howard culture. What up, everybody? Welcome to the HU Movemaker Podcast, where we highlight folks that have contributed to the legacy of Howard University at the highest levels. Now, today we have a, a very, very, very special guest. Some would say she's the first lady of Howard University. <laughs> Would they say that? Is that accurate? No, I don't know who would say that. No. Some would say that. You know, maybe Quentin, Quentin would say that. I I'm would say that. Anything for him, though. Hello. I mean, you was president when I was at Howard, right? Yep, sure okay. was. All right. You was a, a trustee, right? Yeah. Well, now you're a trustee. So let me just go through this bio real quick, you know, if, if I could try. So social entrepreneur, civic engagement tr strategist, Emily's List, co-founder and chair of the board of advisors of the, of the collective. Is that right? That's right. CEO and founding partner of Vested Strategies, national African-American vote director for the Obama campaign. Big shout out to that. National field director and youth and college division director for the NAACP. Delta Sigma Theta, Sorority Incorporated, Alpha hey, Chapter. Hey. Gotta show love. Just all of a great woman, wife to Quentin James, mother of two amazing toddlers. So without further ado, I want to welcome Stephanie Brown James to the show. Yay! Thank you, Josh. I'm so happy to have you on here. So happy to have you on here. I'm so happy to be here. We're going to get right into it. I, I just want to know, how does a person from Cleveland, a, a young lady like yourself from Cleveland, get to Howard and manage to accomplish all these great things? I mean, I was just looking at, I saw you, I was just looking the other day, I saw your husband on on Fox News defending the culture. <laughs> <laughs> the, the day before that, I saw you at the tailgate, you know, getting it in. The day before that, I see you get a $2 million grant from... Uh, <laughs> The, the mayor of, of New York. <laughs> then I look at your bio, you done raised nine million. I mean, is it anything that you don't do, Stephanie? Let me tell you, I don't rest enough. I'll tell you that. But, you know, I'm just out here trying to hustle, do the best I can, uh, try to make a difference in the world, try to have a good time doing it. I believe in working hard and playing harder. So, you know, I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to be the best me I can be. Well, you're doing a great job. So appreciate kudos that. to you. So let's appreciate get right that, bro. into it. I mean, you know, tell me, you know, tell me how your career started and, and you know, tell me how you got to where you are today. Mm -hmm. uh, well, like you said, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, and specifically a little town called Beffer Heights right outside of Cleveland. And um, growing up, first of all, my two parents are uh, retired public school teachers. Mm. So education has always been important to me. And what's crazy is, I never realized until literally maybe last year that, oh, they're also HBCU grads. Like, Where'd it go? At, at, so my dad graduated from Jackson State in Mississippi, and my mom graduated from Tougaloo College in Mississippi. Oh, dope. Dope. And so for me, it was like, well, that's just college. And it's like, oh, yeah, no, it is an HBCU. It's like the, I've just, I always grew up with a love of historically black colleges. And so for me, as a young kid that grew up in NAACP, I knew I had to be like where the action was, and that was Washington, D.C. And then I knew that I had always wanted to work for NAACP, which is in Baltimore. So if I go to Howard, you know, maybe I can get a little internship, 
go up to Baltimore, you know, two birds with one stone. So that's how I got to Howard. So even um, as a shorty, you you knew. I mean, to me, NAACP bit. was just a word. It could have been OPP, NAA. I, just, I didn't know. I mean, even as a kid, you knew about the NAACP? Yeah, I had been introduced to it um, by a woman at my church, and she gave me a flower flyer for a youth council meeting, and they advertised pizza, and I'm like, I was 14, and pizza sounded good, and I knew there was going to be boys there. Word. So I'm like, yo, I'm in. I don't know what this is about, but, you know, it sounds decent. And I literally went to my first meeting and was elected the president of the youth council. And I'm like, dude, I don't even know what this is. And I was president my whole time in high school. That's how I work with black organizations. If you got an idea, it is. They make you chair that whole thing. <laughs> the whole thing. Just, just for showing up. Just That's for dope, showing man. up. That's dope. So, so at what age were you president? What age is this? Uh, so this was 14 to 18. You was president for four years? For four, all four years. Freshman, freshman year to senior year. Wow. So you and was then, um, <laughs> So I'm an overachiever because I was also class president from freshman to senior year. How many, so, how many in your class? 300 and something. Damn. So, so when you president of NAACP, and that's what the local chapter for yeah. like your age group. Right. What, what were some of the things you were able to accomplish or maybe some things that you learned from that experience? I think, well, the biggest thing I definitely learned was the importance of, of having a strong crew. Like I'm a real, like, um, nobody can do anything on their own. Like I'm a real big believer and like, we got to all come up together. And so being able to work with my friends who were my friends, but still have to tell them, Hey, these are the things we have to deliver on. Um, you know, we got time to, to, to play, but this is time to work and being able to really delegate things that had to happen as a teenager and prioritize time was a lot of what I learned through that experience. So by the time I got to Howard, you know, I was but what, used to what type of things are you are you doing at fourteen to, to push <laughs> push to push things? Well, you forward? know, we we had a lot of um, students who were really concerned about like the standardized testing uh-huh. that was um, wasn't culturally biased. Exactly, exactly wasn't exactly resonating with, with young black people, especially, and so talking about that. We were talking about police brutality back then. So we did like oh, a lot wow. of forums. We did a lot. As a matter of fact, do you know Reverend Jamal Bryant? He's down no. in uh, Atlanta right now. He was a big, um, he took over Eddie Long's church. Oh, well, okay. Anyways, Eddie Jamal Long, was that, Bryant, the, was that the pastor that was? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, damn, yeah, Eddie. Yeah. He, took, he took over his <laughs> church. And, um, you know, okay. he's one of those like celebrity civil rights kind of pastor guys. Like we brought him for his first NAACP speech because he used to be a youth director. Oh, nice! And so we would have a lot of forums, a lot of times for like young people to have town halls, speak out about what they felt about things. We were able to do um, like participate in marches, and you know, I'm like, I've been so even for at, a long so time. Even at, as a teenager, you're you're already laying the foundation for your work right now. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. That's yeah, <laughs> you didn't want to know what I was doing when I was fourteen. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I was I was doing a lot of that too. Like like, let me, so when I talk about listen, I will also say I learned the art of discretion. Oh, very okay. early on. You know what I mean? Because you have a position, but you still a kid too. Word. You know what I mean? That's that's dope. So, so so, what's the demographics of, of where you grew up? You know, to to make you to make My your parents want to put you in something like city this. was about half and half white and black. What about your circle of influence? Like, what's that like? 
Um, like, are you hanging with black folks? You hang with white folks? Pretty Mexican much people? all black folks. Okay. I what would say school? at school, it was more white kids as well. And, and I never grew up in an environment that was like us against them. Mm-hmm. Like it was a very like racially mixed community where I never felt like shunned or I never felt any kind of oppression because I was a young black kid. So what, what made you gravitate towards the NAACP being that um, you had good race relations? Yeah. yeah. You know, what's funny in, in the fifth grade, I had a teacher um, named Miss Hilty, a white lady, one of my favorite teachers to this day who introduced, not introduced, I would say she cultivated an appreciation and a love for black history because she hosted a black history challenge in our middle school. And it was a challenge. Like it wasn't, who gave the speech on Washington? No, no, no. It was stuff like about Garrett Morgan and, you know, who invented the gas mask and, you know, who it, it was, it was about stuff that you had to actually research. And Miss Hilty was adamant about, no, you're not going to know just what they. Was she married to a black man? No, she's okay. straight white. She was just straight, <laughs> regular white to this day. Miss Hilty, I'm telling you, is one of my biggest cheerleaders still to this day. Oh, so you, so you talked to her today. That's dope. Oh, yeah. Oh, she yeah. must be super proud of you, man. Super proud. Oh, That's I what's think up. she is. Yeah. So but you I get- said to say that, like, black history is so important and, and it cultivates a pride in you, but also a reality of all that we've been through as black people to where I'm like, I got to play a role and helping the condition of black people continue to get better and, and progress. So even at 14, while my day-to-day life was a certain way, I knew that there were deficiencies that black people were, were facing in, the, in just my own little city that I was like, all right, now, nah, like I got to do something about it. So, Welcome to the Go Fish Village podcast. As a Chinese proverb says, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. At Go Fish, our goal is to teach individuals just like you how to build wealth through real estate. So when you, you know, you get to see a year and you're making a decision about which school you want to attend. I mean, are your parents trying to get you to go where they went or is Howard just the goal? They knew I was going to go out of state. Um, I did an HBCU tour that the National Urban League sponsored. Uh, matter of fact, I went on that tour with Cameron Trimble, your homeboy. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Cameron Cam. went to prom with my best friend, Erica. Oh, so I know y'all was wilding out. <laughs> I know y'all was wilding out then. If, if you I wish I had a photo, Cam. man, of us in our first time at Howard. And um, at that moment, I know me and Cam were like, oh, okay, we're in. We're going to Howard. Wow, that's amazing. That's yeah. amazing how, all, how everything kind of comes full circle. Yeah. And y'all end up at Howard. That's amazing. Together. Man. Yeah. And what's crazy is I remember being on campus and it's like to see kids just like very fashionable or kids that were dressed kind of goth or kids that were dressed in full suits. I was like, this is a, this is a beautiful experience. I've never seen black kids in suits like this before. You know, the school to be kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's you know, cool. I was just experience like, was crazy. Walking up that hill in them suits. You know what I'm I saying? Know. That when was, it was that hot was outside fun. too. Yeah. So you get to Howard. I mean, what? Obviously, you you know, you you president, you know what I'm saying? No backward steps for you. So you get to Howard orientation week. What's going through your mind at this point? I know you got some things on your bucket list and you got your eye, you, you, you looking at the landscape like, okay, okay. I was there like, oh, so everybody was class president. Oh, <laughs> so everybody here got their stuff together. Like I was there like, okay, 
I feel like the lowest person on the totem pole. Like, you ain't special, girl. Really? Yeah. And let me tell you, my entire freshman year, almost, I tried to leave Howard University. I begged my parents. I was so sad. You was I was sad, homesick. Really? I was sad. I felt... Um, what? what no, why, why is that? I was intimidated. I, I was really? super intimidated. We need to talk about that. What were you intimidated for? Like, what was? Because everybody was like at the top of their at the top of their game, and so you figure for me for four years, I'm used to being the leader. Like, I'm used to having a position. I'm used to being seen and all that kind of stuff. Where it's like you come in as a freshman among amazing freshmen, plus you got to grapple with under under or upperclassmen, and then you trying to figure out the whole school stuff, and then you missing your mama. It was just like it's this is too much. Wow, I didn't know that, man. Man, yeah. I, I had such an easy transition, but I think for me it was like I, I didn't have I, w- I didn't put any pressure on myself. I was just happy to be away from home. It was just no way away. I was trying to go back home. It was the first time I was around that many black people, and that I went to all boy, all white high school. So like, oh yeah, being able to get away. I mean, it was just man, it was just like heaven. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So I mean. So what activities were you doing freshman year to kind of help you, I guess, you know. With the transition and stuff? Yeah, with that transition. And how, how were your grades at that point? My grades were also decent. Now, let me just say this as a disclaimer. Uh, I'm not a scholarly person, per se. So I was never, like, a Howard student that got, like, amazing grades. Um, I was fortunate enough to come to Howard with one of my best friends, Kenria Rankin. Mm. We grew up together from elementary school. And we've, we've been, we've literally been together since elementary school. She's also my line sister now, but so we came to Howard together. And so I think for me, being able to have her was definitely like a way to help me with the transition. And she is literally the smartest person I've ever met. I mean, she was number one in our class forever. Really? And so, you know, she would help me with school stuff and. What was your major? Business management. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was marketing. I was like. That looks like the easiest major. I'm going to no, do that one. <laughs> I like accounting. No. Uh, finance. No. Definitely not. No. I was crossing them off the list. And I was like, okay, I could do two years of two accounting courses, a finance class, a QBA, and I'm, you know, calculus, and I'm done. So, yeah. So I mean, but you know, but major. it fits you, though, so much. Your marketing background fits you. Yo, it does. I got, I got lucky because I came in. I wasn't even a – I was actually a biology major. Because that was my only way to get into Howard. And I just followed the, oh. uh, the the marketing scheme. And then I just transferred over. I think you had mm-hmm. like a 3.0 or 3 point something. And they just let you transfer as long as you had the grades. So I just transferred. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, I finessed my way into the school to be. I, was I think I remember that about you. I was one of the sophomores so. that had a team leader that was younger than them. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Were you a team leader? I was. What are you talking about? You wasn't smart, so you you just gonna skip all over that. You was a team leader. Y'all got everything. We not even. I had basic grades though. Like I wasn't a standout student. Cause I listen. Cause I especially my sophomore year, I was like, okay, I'm I'm I am. I appreciate the schooling, and it, you know, it was some things I liked. But I felt like I came to Howard like majoring in in organizations. <laughs> like I came there to learn how to be like a better organizer and like a better leader. So every, and especially because at that time, like if I had a choice now, I'd, I'd have been an entrepreneurial major, which really? I think is a major now. 
But I remember going to the dean, like, I think it's ridiculous that we don't have a major or we don't have really any classes in how to be an entrepreneur. Really? Because, in the, you know, in the early 2000s, that started to be like a thing, like, you know, be, become an entrepreneur. And, and I was yeah, like, I, yeah, I I'm took, on that. Um, I took a, they had one entrepreneur class as an elective and another one. I remember that was the only teacher. I forgot this guy's name. He started the class. He was like, um, the first day of class, he was like, uh, look. I don't have an MBA like all these other teachers. I don't have no PhD like all your other teachers. And he was like, but what I do have is $10 million in my bank account. <laughs> I remember when he said that and I was like, damn, you know, but he was basically saying like, you know, Ew. you in the right class. And I think um, that was the only class because I, I didn't get no, I barely had, you know, I mean, I didn't have bad grades. It was like a 3.0, 3.1, something like that. But I remember that was the only class where the teacher was like, yo, when I turned in my project, he was like, out of everything I've seen since, since I've been doing this, you're the only one that, that, that did everything right on the final exam. I remember just being like, damn, that's dope. You know what I'm saying? It is dope. But it's, it's just cool how, you know, Howard can, can, can plant those seeds. And then later on, when you're thinking back, you're like, damn, I should have, I took that moment for granted. Like, he, here, here he is, it, yeah. a teacher that's yeah. saying he got all his bread. Right. Talking to me, and I, I'm just like, all right, cool, man. I'm... <laughs> We done? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? But yeah, so freshman year, take me back. Because I think a lot of girls at Howard, you know, kind of get intimidated about different things because, you know, I, I remember the first time I brought my wife to Howard and she was just like, dang, like, you know, just seeing all the pretty women. Pretty girls. You know, just like everywhere. I think she was just like, you know, like. You Amazing, know. beautiful, talented, brilliant women everywhere men right everywhere, everywhere. You look. and you and you kind and you take it for granted so, so like you just you don't realize until you're gone but yeah you know as, as somebody who developed into a leader like how did you overcome that you know what i'm saying because you know i'm not a woman but i'm sure that we're gonna have people that watch this that may have a similar struggle how did you overcome that i think i really because now i'm trying to remember that joint was like 20 something years ago josh so now I'm trying hey. to really think. <laughs> hey, you brought it up. So I told you, you know, you bring something I'm up. I'm trying to think back. I do remember, like, having a point where I'm like, okay, what do I like? And what, what do I like? Let me check out student government. Mm -hmm. So freshman year, me and Kenria volunteered for CUSA. And we got in CUSA, and it was um, Selena Simmons was the president of CUSA. Okay. And so then we ended up going from volunteers to having like a little job on, on staff or whatever. And then I think I joined like UGSA and School of Business Student Council. I was like, okay, again, if I focus on the things at Howard that I like and that I feel like I'm good at, and it also helped me to meet other people, this feels comfortable to me, you know? And so I feel like I just started to just figure out my, my path and then meet like-minded people um, so by that point, you know, you're starting to meet the crew of people that you're going to be team leaders with, for example. So that's when I met Tanisha Willis and Alex Dixon and Juve Myers, um, Kyle Bacon, you know what I mean? And it was like, okay, you started to develop these, like these a crew. people are doing are all phenomenal people to this day. And still friends. They're still great friends today. So what's, so a, what's think, a team leader for folks that don't, don't know what a team leader is? So the School of Business has a 21st Century Advantage program that basically takes teams of students, undergrad students, and pairs them with a team leader um, in a corporate 
sponsored team. So like for me, my team was State Farm. And it's a team of like, I don't know, 10, to, how many of us was it, Josh? Like 10 to 12 people on the team? Yeah, yeah. Something like that. And then your team leader, who is like a sophomore, and I think maybe we had one junior, but typically like a sophomore student, helps you through different um, like activities and, and work that you have to do for your team, for your corporate sponsor, basically. Okay. Don't, so it was a good experience. I loved it. Cool. So at, at what point are you at Howard where you kind of like, all right, yo, I'm feeling myself. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm okay. Myself. Or, or at least, you know, myself. you at that point where you like, yo, I kind of, I, I, under, I, like, I, I understand what's going on here. You know, that, that would definitely be sophomore year. So what happened sophomore year? Um, so sophomore year, and actually, no, Selena was president sophomore year. My freshman year, we had a female Houston president. And I just thought that was like amazing. Like, okay, look at this girl here running, you know, student government. Sophomore year, I was working with Selena Simmons because at that point I was really on staff. And then you just start to realize like, I may be young, but I'm understanding like what's happening here. And I feel like I can contribute. And so by sophomore year, you know, I was a team leader. I was getting to know students from both undergrad and graduate campus campuses. I um I had more interactions with the administration at that point. Um, that's when Swagger was our president mm-hmm. of Howard with his interest in self. Um, I actually, I actually enjoyed working with Swagger. He was a difficult person, but helped challenge you in the, in the right ways. And he loved Howard. That's one thing. He definitely loved Howard. And so my sophomore year, I was like, oh, I'm running for Houston president. So you ran, you, ran, you ran as a sophomore. I ran as a sophomore. We won. Me and Alex Dixon, we ran right, as sophomores. What, you know what sticks out to me when you guys were president? I remember when there was an auction taking place. <laughs> and, you know, during these auctions, they would, they would be fundraisers where you get to bid on, like, pretty girls, handsome guys. Yeah. So, you know, such and such going to be in the auction. It's about to be lit. I'm about to buy her, take her out. This is my <laughs> chance. This is my one chance to finesse. You know what I'm saying? I saved up my dining dollars. Like I was, I was ready to go in. You know. Then I get there, I get to the auction, and I think Alex got on like slave uh, chains, <laughs> and and then y'all start preaching about how we slaves. I remember that. I, I was that was that under your administration? It was. Tell me that. Tell me that. That was our junior year. Tell me the genius behind that idea. You know what? That's when I realized I was at Howard. (laughs) I was like, damn, only at Howard. Only, only at Howard. Um, you know what? By that point in time, so Alex and I, we we won as as sophomores, which at the time I was the youngest female to ever do it. I think maybe even still, like it's you know, first of all, you don't run as a sophomore, and you definitely don't win as a sophomore. And so that, that's definitely a proud moment for me, I think, even to this day, because like, yes, ladies, we can do it. You know what I mean? So we served our junior year. And at that point, the auction started being popping. Mm-hmm. Every Greek sorority fraternity, they were having these date auctions. And it just start, started to boil under my skin. Like, do we understand the legacy of auctions for black people? And how dare we? How old are you doing this? You like, this was junior year. Like 19, 20? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Damn. I think we were, what, 19, maybe 20? But see, and here comes the Black history part to it. You know what I mean? It's like, 
I'm a big history person. And so the imagery of, and these state auctions, I mean, people would be half naked. I mean, they would be like risque. You know what I mean? I and so then finally. I was there. <laughs> and they raised a lot of money too. They raised a lot of money as fundraisers. And so I came to my staff one day and I was just like, yo, we got to put it into these auctions. And they were like, well, you can't just do it in a way that's, that's like, Houston says no more auctions. Like, no, we need to strike up a conversation as to why we should or we shouldn't have auctions and let the campus community come to the decision of what we're going to do. And that's really what we aim to do. Like, we had this fake auction. Alex was in it. Lance Gross was in it. You know, and they, and they, they half dressed. We got the finest girls walking around. Mm-hmm. And at, the, at one point, we started playing Roots in the background. <laughs> oh y'all so petty wow, guys on stage and he come out with the chains on everybody's people start bitting on him man with like, the chains on <laughs> don't you realize like this dude has chains on and then we finally came up stopped the uh stopped it and was like you know this is actually not an auction it's a conversation about why we should or shouldn't have and when i tell you we had never had an event with that many people we had like 200 people there mm-hmm. now maybe 50 walked out but we had this massive conversation about what should we do as a campus community. And from that, it was like a ceremonial vote that we're not going to have auctions. And then we started to work with the different organizations to say, there's other ways you can fundraise. Let us help you figure that out as opposed to just doing an auction. Wow. So what, I mean, what was the, what was the effects of that? Like, was it a good thing, bad thing? Like how, how was I think the response? It was, you know what, what's so ironic is that that unofficial policy lasted for some years. Mm. Like I will come back to Howard because I'm a big believer in like being on campus, being a resource for, you know, student leaders. I, I basically, at least up until like the last couple years, have known every single Houston president. Like, and I remember coming back to campus, and this probably was maybe six years after we did the auction. They hadn't had no auctions. My sorority chapter was gonna was talking about having an auction. Wow. And I was like, oh, I so you got to put your foot down. Well, I was just like, that's on me, like to not continue to engage these young these young students in conversations about some of the things that they're doing or choosing to do. You know, yeah. what type of leadership skills did you know, you said you came in as a sophomore, really wasn't supposed to win, but you did win, you know, um, and you were able to accomplish some things. You know, you kind of got the uh, auctions kicked off, <laughs> kicked off a of campus. And I'm sure you did some other things as well. Like what, what are some of the, the skills that you learned, you know, from doing all of that stuff that you kind of, that, that translated into your career today? Mm-hmm. I would say like one of the things our administration did was help to get the iLab on campus. Oh man, iLab, the, that was Silicon the Valley. The iLab, at the, time. The, um, the lights around campus. Cause I don't know if you remember, campus used to be very dark. Hmm. So we worked with the university to get lights up around campus. We worked to get the the computer lab that was in the Blackburn Center. Wow, um, man, that's crazy. And, and all of that took a lot of negotiations with So talk me through that. Like, like, what do you mean by negotiations? Like, what are you negotiating? One, the fact that we actually need this and they need to spend university resources on it. And so, you know, I remember with the iLab, we had to have like a bunch of forums on campus to really get a sense on how students would use the iLab. Like, no, it can't just be open eight to six. This joint going to be 24 hours. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like students have 
patterns of studying and ain't normal. So it's like, you know, it has to be able to allow us to print. And if we print, we can't spend a lot of money on it, you know, stuff mm. like that. Um, and it's funny, I remember going to a meeting with President Swagger, who had a, who had, he's a Q, let me just say that. So he has the ability to be, he's a stern, he was a stern person, but will also be very like relaxed with you. And so I remember one day going to a meeting and I picked up on his vibe, like, oh, he relaxed, I'm relaxed. Like we chopping it up, da, 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 da. And Franklin Chambers, who was over student affairs at the time, after the meeting, he was in the meeting and he took me to the side and he was like, Stephanie, whenever you are trying to get something from somebody else, you're never relaxed. Like you're on your toes, especially when it's a person of such authority, like the president of the university, because people will use that as a way to diffuse you and get you off focus, get you in the state you're not actually like pushing for what it is that you want at what point do you become a delta it was a good decision but a challenging one because i ended up um i ended up pledging as houston president so wow that's like a that's like a conflict of interest almost it was a conflict of something. <laughs> Man. A conflict of time. I think so, that much. So, you know, and the reason I, I think this is such a, a, a dope thing to bring up. So, I mean, you president of Houston, you president of Howard, and on top of that, you become and I'm a Delta. And, and, you know, for me, I didn't really have exposure to, like, the Greek life before college. So, as a result, once I got there, I didn't really see the point. But then when I graduated. I was like that. I was like that at first. But then when I graduated, you, you you hear all these people, oh, my mom was this and my grandma was this and this and that and the third. Like, I'm like, why didn't you, why nobody talk about it? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, why didn't y'all yeah. say, like, people didn't really share that info until after they, you know, by the time you were a senior or after college, you know, and as an adult, you like, oh, your whole family did this. Or I didn't know Delta was that big of a thing. And then, you, and then you kind of learn about what Alpha Chapter means. So, right. They, Maybe you can't answer this. You probably couldn't answer it then. But even now, like when you look back at, you know, like when I feel like when you go to Howard and you drive past and you see the iLab, you probably feel a sense of pride, you yeah. know. And and then when people talk about Delta, you can say, hey, I did Alpha Chapter. Like, yeah. When you look back at some of the things that you ach- accomplished at Howard, I how does my, that make I you feel? I have my Delta shirt on today. I'm like, you can't. Oh, we can't it. see it. Oh, you better represent. You better represent. I just got that a couple of days ago. How does that feel being, you know, a part of Alpha Chapter in Delta? And then I also want to know what, you know, what made you decide to to pledge Delta? It feels great. <laughs> it just, it feels a, it's a sense of pride and honor. And um, Delta, you know, y'all, when I was at Howard, y'all ran everything, yearbook, homecoming. It was like campus mm-hmm. pals. It was like, like, what's, what's really hood? Like, it, what's, it was what's great, going on? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you know what? And that's exactly why I wanted to be a Delta. Because I was just like, the line before us, they were just fly. I came in as a as a freshman, like, I don't get this. My mom wasn't great. My parents, my parents aren't, my sister wasn't. So I didn't grow up like with it being a serious kind of thing. My my mentor, Miss Sims in high school was a Delta. And she's like the only one I really knew. So and my I think at that point that my aunt became one. But yeah, I was just like, I remember one day as a freshman, I went up to one of the Deltas and I said, you know, I think it's so disrespectful that you all are cursing in your songs that you sing on the yard. 
Wow, you had a lot of nerve, Stephanie. I had a lot of nerve. I had a lot of nerve. That's so ridiculous. I thought they were saying one word, but they were saying something completely different. Oh, wow. Which I now know. But, you know, and it's just like, who, who am I? Just, you know, and they reminded me of that later. But, um, but to me, becoming an adult is it's, it's competitive, right? You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, you have 500 girls that, you but know, did, go did, out. Did, did you realize that at the time? Like, it was competitive, or, or were you just like, yeah. You know, this oh, is yeah. Because you go thing. to the programs and you, you know, you got a, a, a line of ladies going out the building to get into a Delta program. It's like, oh, okay. Okay. That's interesting. That's really yeah, interesting. Yeah, it man. was deep. Cause, but what I learned at Howard, though, it ain't just Delta they got a process. Everybody, no matter what organization oh, every, you oh, join. Everybody. The band, <laughs> the choir, the uh, the chapel assistants. Everybody got a process. Everybody got a process. And I and I, I appreciate that. I like it because yeah. without, without the organizations that I joined, I wouldn't have learned as much as I learned about the campus. You know, right. all these random facts about what was what. And then when I come back for homecoming, I even appreciate it even more. Like, oh, yeah, that's that building. That's that building. You know, all these little facts that I know inside of my head. So, I know yeah, what. So, I wanted to be a Campus Pals so bad. Did you try out for Campus Pals? Yes, I tried out for Campus Pals. You must have tried out when? Freshman year? I tried out when all y'all tried out. Oh, yeah, that's for, I was a freshman. I got lucky. I don't know how I made it, to be honest. Because you were cool. Josh, I don't know like how I made cool it. Kids. <laughs> I don't know how I made it. I mean, I would have rather. I, I I take being Houston president. You know. I was like, man, the campus pals are so cool. Well, you can't have it all, Stephanie. Damn, greedy. I guess, Josh. Greedy, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what was it like? You know, having your time occupied. You know, as Houston president, and you know, you going through the becoming the process of becoming a Delta. It. And you trying to go to class. How about that? You know what I mean? It was just intense. It was intense. And I just had to just juggle my time. Honestly, just juggle my time. Use my time wisely. Like, okay, you don't you don't actually have time to kick it at all. Like, and if you are kicking it, you study and you you kick it with people that's in the in the mix with you. How much how much did you use Houston as a reason to like be on Get out of things? <laughs> I think maybe just a little bit. Just a little bit, huh? Just a little bit. Because here's the other challenge is the line before us, you know, that the, the line brings you in. Well, they're also a part of HUSA. Oh, okay. And you kind of like they boss. Because the HUSA president oversees the General Assembly, and the General Assembly is made up of like the presidents yeah, and vice presidents of all the schools. So, you know, Delta's running everything. So we in a General Assembly meeting. So and I'm was, in there with my profile, so I can I can only gas so much. So was everything smooth when when you're kind of like, it's like they're over you in one regard and you're over them in another regard. How 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 was that relationship? I I was never over them. <laughs> I never. know that's right. <laughs> never. They like yeah, Stephanie, you're gonna pass this bill. All right. Never. I was <laughs> like, nice. but you but let me tell you something, Josh. Like I am a big person for deference. Like I, I really believe, like it's important to um, to show and give respect for for people that provide you with opportunities, especially you know. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't always understand some of the things you were doing, you know, going through the Delta process until afterwards, and you realize like, oh, okay, oh, and then and especially when you start bringing in your own mind and you start you know realizing things, it's like, man, I just appreciate those women so much. 
So I didn't how did class? So how did that? How did like being being an adult? How did that change your life at Howard? Oh, I had a great time. <laughs> I had a great time. You said, "Oh, I, I had a great for time." The first time <laughs> for the first time in in my three what are, years. What are things that were a little bit different, you know. I'm sure the confidence was a little bit, you know. I was, ooh, I was, I wasn't out there like that, but I was going out. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I was going out. I was um, hanging out with Lion Sisters. We would. I don't know if you've if you've ever been to Hops. Um, it was like a little brewery in Alexandria, Virginia. They had these biscuit rolls. Oh yeah, yeah. Or um, L'Oreal <laughs> Plaza. You brought and up these biscuit rolls. What, what do the biscuit rolls got to do with anything? <laughs> because they're these honey glazed biscuits, and if you order a side salad for like two dollars and ninety nine cents, they bring you out these biscuits, and then you can get you can have a whole meal for five dollars. And we ain't had no money. So literally, we would be like, all right, man, should I go to this econ class? No, nah, I ain't going to do that today. Let's go to Hops. Or, hey, am I going to go to this algebra? Nah, let's go to L'Oreal Plaza. So it was great times. Now, unfortunately, it caught up with me because I actually, and this is a little known fact, I actually didn't graduate with the class of 2003. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. So you graduated no, when? I graduated in 2004. Hey, because I'm sure you don't regret it, do you? Um, a little bit. Uh, I I do regret it because I had um, I failed my accounting class and I failed mm. my statistics class. Mm. Two and tough ones. Two tough they ones. were like, "Okay, you can't graduate." And I'm like, "I'm sorry. What do you mean I'm go- not going to graduate? I had already had a job lined up at NAACP. Like, I have a job." I'm former Houston president. I think right. at the time. Do y'all know who y'all are talking to? You know, I just, I actually, I really had a chip on my shoulder. I think at the time I was chair of homecoming. Like, I was just like. You probably needed that dose of humility, though. Oh, I did. I did. And I will say that, thankfully, um, Dr. Chambers let me walk, and, and Dean Harvey let me walk um, to really save face. Because by that point, my parents had already paid for their tickets to come down. Like, did did, did your parents know? My my parents didn't know until like the week before graduation. Wow. Yes. So they came down and I walked and I borrowed uh, my line sister's cap and gown. And I mean, I borrowed everything like and they let me walk and save face, really. And then that whole next year, 2004, I was working in Baltimore and had to drive back and forth to, to go to evening classes at Howard. So and it took me a year to get my degree finally. And so it's like, man. To go from all that I did at Howard to, at the end of the day, the most important thing you are there for is to get your degree because there will be like repercussions if you don't, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was like, yo, it, reality and, and like you said, that just that dose of humility and everything hit me, I think, just in the right time, honestly. Damn, man. So. I still wrote 2003, though. Of course. All the That's time, my class. Man. Got to, man. So fast forward, you graduate. Okay, you graduate. Yep. So we're. What are your career aspirations right now as you prepare for graduation, as you get ready for your career? I'm working for NAACP, my dream. So I became National Youth Council Coordinator. Brandon Neal hired me, mm. another Howard alum, um, campus so what, pal. What Alpha. are your responsibilities in, in that role? My job was to oversee all the youth councils. So we had about 600 youth councils in NAACP. So how I grew up in a youth council in mm. Cleveland, my job was to create the programming for 
for those kids, like different campaigns that they could um, operate around, the, the training curriculum for them. So all of our regional conferences, I created that, got the speakers, the national conventions, organized that for them. Um, and then basically just- So this sounds like a ton of work. From there. It's a lot of work, a lot of stress. It was a lot of work and it was a lot of stress. And I, and I, I was there for, I think a year that first time and I got completely dismayed because I felt like that I felt like the organization wasn't necessarily living up to what they said they were. It felt like a lot of internal <clears throat> fighting so around. Let stuff. me ask you this. Cause a lot of yeah. organizations, man, you know, they get that check from that sponsor and then they kind of go quiet on issues. Mm-hmm. You find that to be something that happened while you were there, maybe not with the NAACP, but, Oh, just, yeah. with, just with organizations, you know, a whether it's an urban league or, or whatever, you know, somebody cut them a check and then that's that. Yeah, for sure. You know, and or sometimes you find organizations putting themselves against each other and they're trying to get money from the same pot. And that's why I'm a firm believer of, especially for black folks, like we need to fund our work. Like we need to fund the progress that we want to see so that we don't have to be so beholden to like corporate giants to be the backbone of our fi- of our financial situation so that, I that ask you a question. also like <clears throat> as, as somebody that you know works in um you know does this type of civic engagement and, and and this type of work in the community you know and this a little bit has to do with the me too movement i feel like a lot of these movements whether even even black lives matter it, it, sound, it seems like they start with the idea of helping black folks but then everybody else benefits. Am, am I wrong with that statement? It's, I know you heard before about when America catches a cold, black folks catch pneumonia. Yeah, man. You know, it's like, or when, or when black people rise, everybody rises. Oh, that's I a mean, fact. That's a fact. It is. And so, you know, my thing is like, well, let's focus on letting black people, on getting black people to rise. How do because we, that way I mean, it's going to benefit that, everybody. Like, I mean, that's, it just seems, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to solve it, but I just asked you that because you, you probably can answer it much better than most people that come on this show can. I mean, I'm real focused on being intentional and being honest, like whatever your mission is and staying focused on it, you know, so we'll turn down money if we feel like it's not advancing the mission of our work or, or what the organization's values are. Like, I just think, if you stay real firm in what your values are, who you're trying to benefit, and you're not also trying to benefit yourself first and foremost, then that at least gets you on the right path to like do the right things. Um, mm-hmm. And not also like have you be beholden to people that don't actually have your best interest in mind. Yes, yeah, it's, it's hard to turn down that bread though. When you when you're a nonprofit and you know you got a budget, you know, and pretty much because I you know I have a nonprofit here, and it's like every dollar that comes in it goes out like, or and mm-hmm. if, and if it don't go out, you may not get it the next year. So one day I was, um, I was at work at church and Cameron Tremble, here he come up again. Cameron Tremble stopped by to see me cause he was in town and we were talking and he could just tell I was low. This is the, po- this is the power of, of, of the Howard friendships, honestly. And he was just like, he literally yelled at me, Josh. He was like, Stephanie, I don't know what you're doing here. You're too talented for this. You need to get yourself together. I mean, he like, like read into me and I was just like, 
it was a, it was like a slap across the face. Like, what am I doing? Like, get yourself together, girl. And literally, I think a month later, I was back in D.C. Wow. So did you go back to D.C.? With, I went back to D.C. Or what? I went with some $20,000 job, which you know in D.C. My, I left NAACP making $50,000. Mm, and that, I left that that's, behind. That's decent money, especially with a nonprofit. As a fresh, yeah, and, as a freshman. As a freshman yeah. I mean, as a, as a graduating you know, senior, I left that $50,000. So when I got back to D.C., I was making, no, making $24,000. And I live with my profile, Anita Barksdale, who gave me Anita, and Anita was waking probably five times as much as you was making at that time. <laughs> she had her own. Anita home ain't no punk. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, she was always on point. And she, but let that's me good live with though. Her. But you think yep. about it though. Think about it. Like you need that type of energy. You know what I'm saying? To be yeah. around, to be like, hey, get it together. Like you get said, it together. Stephanie Brown, like, come on, get you it know? together. And after that, I ended up going back to NAACP and was the National Youth Council, um, the National Youth and College Division Director, which was like a dream job for me. And I did that for eight years. I became National Field Director. So I did that before I got to the Obama campaign. Wow. Wow. So, so all told, when you, I was at NAACP for eight years. So were you traveling around a lot in that oh, role? Oh, yeah. What, what, are some of the, what are some of the cool things you got to do for the NAACP? You know what? It's cool to me. I don't know if it's cool that like what I loved about that job. And again, now that I now that I'm saying all this out loud, Josh, it puts me back to um, being a young kid doing black history stuff. Like I got to literally travel across the country helping mm -hmm. black people organize. That's pretty remarkable when you think about major moments in uh, in black history or American history. I mean, you was right on the ground, ground roots of that. That's crazy. And I would say, like, honestly, Josh, what I what I love most about my NAACP time is it just the appreciation and love that I have for not just black people, definitely for black people. But I mean, there were so many allies, um, people of different races and backgrounds that were, were right there with us. You know what I mean? Like, the field, was it white folks helping y'all, too? Yeah, all staff. I mean, so in the back of your mind, are you like, man, do I trust this white person? Or like, are you, you know, you know what I mean? Because when you watch movies like Black Panther or even civil rights movies, I mean, you see like the FBI pay black people to write or you see they pay certain people to infiltrate organizations to, to, to get things. I mean, was in the back of your mind, were you ever doubtful of people, even people that may look like you? Um, not in that way. Was I ever doubtful? I was doubtful of people's intentions. Like you realize how many people are so self-centered, <laughs> you know, like they doing things just for their own like prosperity. So that was disheartening. But over the years, I mean, you just get to know these people so well that you work with. It's like, I never, I never had that kind of feeling with, with folks. So, <clears throat> so do, do you get the do you get the Obama gig if it's if it's not for this experience? Uh, no, and I had to fight real hard for the Obama job. So tell me about that. I, I what, interviewed. What, what was that? Because um, at that point, I was like, I'm ready to leave NAACP. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> right. One way or another, I'm getting out of here. This was 2011. I was like, I'm out of here at some point soon. Because I just... I had run my course there, you know what I mean? And so then um, I, I had applied in, I think, June. And did I ended some, up getting Did somebody tell you to apply? Or do you just 
I knew about the position. I had heard about the position and I actually have friends that applied and friends that interviewed. And so I'm like, man, if they applied and they interviewed, they definitely ain't gonna hire me. You know what I mean? Like they they, they were because I never also consider myself political. I still don't. Like I'm not a political person, like I'm a people person that knows how to translate politics, but I'm not like a political kind of like mastermind strategist person. So for me, I, I was selling myself on like, look. In order for Obama to win in 12, because a lot of people ain't feeling him, you need to know black people. You need to know black people, love black people, know how to organize, know how to do voter registration stuff. That's what I do. Like my background is that what is you black. is that what you said in, in an interview? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and they were like, "Oh, NAACP is cute, um, but what do you know about metrics?" You know, and it was like, "Oh, I I know met," and it wasn't until I got the job, which I got the job. On my birthday, January 16th, twenty. It was like, explain this FN statistics that you got. Bro, <laughs> I got on the job and like two weeks, a weekend, I was like, this joint is intense. <laughs> intense. Oh, yeah. And I realized, oh, okay, like everything is back is backed by metrics. Um, but, oh, you know, I need black people, it? so I have to work it out. So when you had oh, that Obama campaign, was it more resources when, when you when, when you joined that team? Um, yes and no. I mean, it's such a big organization, you know, so I I will say that like if we needed to do like an event in Miami Gardens, Florida, we could work with a team to have that happen. We could create the pamphlets and the giveaways and the t-shirts and the hats and, you know, so, so, so like our team like designed anything black is what our team designed. So it was good knowing that, hey, I think we need to have this T-shirt say this or whatever and, and have it actually be, like, produced and out there. Like, stuff like that was, like, so you're So, you're basically, your, your goal was to get black folks out to vote. Right? That's it. For Obama. That's it. So, was there any, so, was voter die? Was that something that was tied in with what you was doing? No, that was, like, a few years ago. I think that was, like, 2004, 2008. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So what what was that experience like? I mean, obviously working for NAACP, now you're you're helping uh with the Obama campaign. Obama very beloved in our community, you know, huge part of history. What what was that experience like? It I feel like intense is like the best word I could <laughs> say for it. It was intense, it was fun. Uh it was a lot of work, it was a lot of drinking, it was a lot of mornings, a lot of late nights. It was like you just running off adrenaline. Um, thankfully, I think at that time I was maybe 30, yeah. 31 or something. So I had a lot more energy. But, um, you know, in 2012, after Obama's first term, a lot of black folks were like, you ain't done enough for us. So why should we elect you again? You know, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, yeah, what, it was. I mean, you, you would think that um, in his second term, he'd be like, okay, I'm about to wild out with something you know, beyond my brother's keeper. I'm going a, I'm to a do something other than the dope speeches. I mean, what's up? What, 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 what would yeah, you I grade mean, him as a, as a president? Because, you know, hey, to love it. A lot of people, he got a lot of people just because he was black. He got, the, he got our vote. Um, of course, he's a great speaker. You know, Michelle Obama is, is, is dope. You know, his background is dope. He got two black kids. So just seeing them in the white house is beautiful. And then, you know, all the celebrities that we love, Jay-Z, Beyonce, et cetera, all had his back. But when you get down to policies and things of that nature, cause I've even had people tell me that, that, that uh, Donald Trump has better policies than, uh, 
than Obama. I, I'd love to know what those things were. Well, they always point to criminal justice reform. Mm-hmm. Um, and what would that be? I don't know. I'm not one of those people, but I'm not into <laughs> politics like that. Like I said, Obama was black. He had my vote. He had my vote coming <laughs> in. I was like, yeah, I'm going to vote for him, you know, but obviously that's irresponsible. But, you know, I just say to say, what do you think about Obama as a black president? Do you view him as a president or as a black president? I mean, I've heard people say Bill Clinton was the first black president. You know, have you ever heard something like that? Yeah, I think that's, yeah. that's it's stupid. Ignorant. It's ignorant. But I say all that to say, like, you I know what they mean, Obama. though. You yeah, know what I mean? What mean? But it's still not. You don't want to hear that. You know what I'm saying? No, like, well, it's not true. So it also diminishes the black president that we did have. Um, exactly, man. I mean, I, I do think. I'm more uh, I, I think overall. How about this? If you had to criticize Obama, what criticism would you give him? I mean, I think that there probably could have been an initiative with more intentionality that was specifically around addressing, let's say, the economic challenges that black people face. You know, and I think I, I think people I think people wanted him to be more specifically engaging of black people. And I respect that, and I, which is why I do respect my brother's keeper. I respect stuff like that. I do, but I do look at him as the president of, of the United States. Like, mm -hmm. yes, he is a black man who is the president of the United States. And so I think it's about the expectations that you put on him. I didn't put those expectations on him that he's going to do all these great things and all these amazing things for, for black people specifically. I mean, I do think that with the Affordable Health Care Act, I think that that was able to assist a lot of people. Yeah, that was huge. You know, black people. That was huge. It, like, I mean, because I, mean, I, I get in these little debates, but like I said, I tap out after maybe 20 minutes because I don't know that much too, about Josh. politics. But, you know, he I, I know that when he came in office, the economy was horrible. You know, he, he, he fixed that. So that's, I mean, that in and of itself is... Is, is I think a lot. we take that stuff for granted. You know like the fact that we really were like on the verge of like economic turmoil for real, for real. Like, yeah, I think people really take that for granted. Yeah, because he it was kind of seamless the way he did it. You know, it happened like in a year or two. It was like it was done, and then we just had all of these fantastic years in the stock market, and you know, with with, with jobs and everything else. And then when he was trying to get stuff done, <clears throat> it was incredibly hard you know, for him to pass things, you know, through mm -hmm. time. So, yeah, you know, I, I, I get all of that. But um, I, I definitely was looking for him to, you know, it was like the highlight of him being black was when he was like roasting Donald Trump at that, um, I forgot what that thing is called. Oh, like the, the White House correspondence tonight? Yeah, yeah, that was like the one time where he like went in. But, you know, I was definitely and he looking he was on his him. way out. Right, right, he was on his way out. Welcome to the Go Fish Village podcast. As a Chinese proverb says, Give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. At GoFish, our goal is to teach individuals just like you how to build wealth through real estate. How important is it to choose a mate in, in, your, in your line of work, a, a good man? How important is that? Everything. Because I, I know they be throwing rocks at the throne because y'all doing y'all thing. Y'all doing y'all thing, man. How, so how, how important and is that? You know, Howard, uh, I mean, Quinn is also a Howard grad, so let yes. me just say that. So love to him, um, man. But Quinn was my intern. Oh, so, man. 
he was he started off as like my little brother Lewinsky? I met him I Lewinsky? met him through NAACP <laughs> and then he was my intern and then we were dating and then it was like okay we're gonna be serious and then we ended up getting married so we started dating in 2008 we got married in 2012 I met him in 2006 but um I always knew Quentin just had something about him <laughs> like you know even when I wasn't even thinking about him in that way it was like man he's a phenomenal young man like he's smart he's determined he was president of the South Carolina um, Youth and College Division for NAACP. So he was a, you know, student leader and he was just, he had good values. He was fun to be around. Um, we just vibed. That's and cool. also I will say early on, I, I realized like Quentin supported me like nobody else. I mean, everything I would do, biggest cheerleader, everything. And, and I think that's important for a woman to have, especially is, your man got to really like look at you like, hey, whatever you want to achieve, I'm going to be right there by your side and vice versa. And I think we've just always had that really good balance. Good, man. Cause y'all look good together. Y'all like a legit um, couple, man. I'm, every, every time I look up, it's like a, a great announcement <laughs> that y'all making. <laughs> every time I look up, man. And then, you know, I wish, it, you know, y'all doing something crazy with the with consulting or, or you know, I see y'all on IG doing the, the couples thing. I mean, y'all just like, yeah, man, I, y'all just an example of, of black excellence for real. And it's Appreciate dope to, that, uh, man. It's dope Thank to see a, a couple doing that, man, because it's hard out here, you know? Yes, it is. Oh, yes, it yeah, is. So so, so, tell me about the, the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit and how that is come from idea into, um, in, into reality. Yes, I think at, at that point in 2013, I was like, you know, I got to start my own my own consulting firm. Cause I also wanted, I mean, it was so intense working on a campaign. I was also just plain tired. Like I was exhausted coming out of the campaign. And so I'm like, I want to set my own schedule. I just want to do my own thing. I want to work with who I want to work with. And so Quentin and I started Vested Strategies in 2013. We had clients that were in like the civil rights space, environmental space. Um, and we still have Vested Strategies now actually. But then in 20. In 2016, we started the Collective Pack. Mm. And that was really um, a brainchild of Quentin's because he just felt as though, you know, there's so many things that are happening in our country to to and against, and sometimes for Black people, that you really have to have Black folks in leadership positions and elected positions that have the power to put forth policies that are going to help us, you know, progress as a people. And it's like, you got a situation where, like, in, in Ferguson, when Mike Brown was killed, it's a majority black city with an all white city council. Crazy. With, with, a, with a white prosecutor that had been there for 25 plus years. You know, so for us to be able to help elect the first black prosecutor in that so, area. So, you all, so you, all, you all had a hand in that? Yeah. Wow. You know, and, and, and that's the whole point, you know, like to help elect the first black mayor of Montgomery, Alabama, and Birmingham, Alabama. You know, it's what's, like, man. What's, what's the mission of uh, the Collective Pact? Build Black political power in, mm. its, in its most that is, simplest is that, essence. Is that, is that a bipartisan thing? It's we're for progressives. Okay. So we don't say Democrats or Republicans. So if you're a Republican that, like, believes that Black people should have, you know, better economics, stop being killed in the street. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like civic engagement. Like, I mean, then, you know, we'll rock with you, but yes, yeah, for a progressive. So it's not, it's not technically partisan, but, but now under the collect, when we started in 2016, we just had the collective pack and like 
a PAC basically can support candidates up to a certain financial amount. So from there, we started the collective super PAC, which can still support candidates, but you can't coordinate with them in any kind of way. And you can also raise unlimited resources. Um, so for example, uh, when Andrew Gillum was running for governor in Florida. Damn, Andrew. Not going to go there tonight, Joshua. Not going to go there. But when he was running for governor, um, we had a super PAC that um, put in $2 million into that race and, and really helped to solidify. We're not going to go there, Joshua, tonight. Yeah, we're I, I, see, I, see you, I see your whole face. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Let me take it. Let me take it. I don't know. I mean, yeah, that, so I mean, now it's we an have, unfortunate situation. I, it's we, very unfortunate. We can agree on that. It's unfortunate. We can agree on that. Um, so now we have a we have this a PAC, a super PAC, we have a nonprofit organization, and we have a C4 organization. So now now our umbrella is just called the collective. That's dope, man. That's so dope, Stephanie. Man, you went you went quitting, man. <laughs> What are y'all doing over there, man? Y'all, y'all just making kings. Y'all just y'all making boys. kings and y'all making people kings and queens, man. You know, I, I do want to talk to you about pressure, because you know, a lot of times, you know, like you said, you 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 went back to Cleveland, and you getting pe- folks called for you temping, but you were just a Delta. You were just president of the Mecca, Howard University, and th- and then you go and I don't want to say you fall on your face, but you kind of like take some backward mm-hmm. steps. But sometimes mm-hmm. you got to take those backward steps to you know you might take two steps backward to take four steps forward or something like that but pressure man you know i i talk to my friends about stuff and you know you had these goals and these dreams and then you finally get there and then that's when like that real pressure kick in because now you got to maintain yeah all of that you know what i'm saying like i was looking at your bio you you, y'all brought in like nine million dollars you know at one point in time i'm sure you probably had a goal like man we could raise $9,000, $9,000, you know, <laughs> you know, we, we straight, you know what I'm hey, saying? Let me tell you, real talk, Josh, we, we started the collective in 2016 in August, and then you had the November elections, didn't nobody think, we kind of had an idea. People didn't really think Trump was going to get elected. So at that time, our sole source of income, like as a household family, was vested strategies. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, we were doing a lot of work around environmental awareness with black people. Mm. And so when he got elected and basically did all this anti-environmental stuff, our clients like completely dried out. And so as we entered 2017, we virtually had like no income coming in. Damn. And by this point, we had had Carter, our first son in 2015, and I was pregnant with our second son. So y'all with no getting, money coming in. Y'all was stressed and getting it popping, huh? With with the house. <laughs> like and getting it, hey, y'all was having fun though. At least you was having hey, fun at the crib. No, see the, the, the <laughs> second baby came before the drama. I said it all to oh, say okay. like the worst year ever, like for us as a couple was definitely 2017. I mean, we we didn't have nothing. Like we would try to figure out, okay. Did we not tap into this couch and find the coins yet to figure out how we're gonna buy some McDonald's for the baby? Wow. I mean, it I mean it was times we couldn't buy diaper, we couldn't diapers, we couldn't That's buy entrepreneurship. Formula. That's entrepreneurship. Yes. You know what? Like I, I own the office building where my office is and mm, I, that's you know, dope. but <laughs> straight up, I'll tell you, I'll be a hundred percent with you. Like I, I my office initially was across the street, then I bought this office, but 
then I got um an, another addition added on. But oh, in wow. doing that, I was putting stuff on my credit card. I was like, you know, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna make it like this. I looked at my account, I'm like, I'm running out of money. I had to move in with my in-laws for two years, me, my wife, and both my kids. We we back in where my wife, where she lived at, as a high school kid, the four of us wow. for two years. I'm running my business. I'm in the morning, I'm getting up, I'm driving Uber, then coming to run my you know, insurance agency. Then I'm driving yeah. over again at night. So right now, Collective Pack in uh, what's it called Emily's Village. Emily's List. Emily's List. I'm sorry. So Emily's List. That is what. What is what's the mission of Emily's List? So it's funny because we we always design the collective to be the Black Emily's List because Emily's List is like the top notch group at what they do, which is basically supporting Democratic pro choice women to run for office. Um, Democratic pro-choice women. It's a math equation. (laughs) (laughs) And really our job is to help train these women, um, have them be supported, help them to get elected, help them to win. Um, And I mean, this is a hundred million dollar organization that just is it. Best, best in class, and so. Damn. So, are you able to take those best practices and apply it to to your organization? Yeah, but not exactly because you know we got a hundred plus staff <laughs> at Emily's List, and we at Collective just hired three or four people. We got we just now have a staff of five. That's good. Whereas, that's good. No, it's great. I mean, it's the first time since 2016 we've actually had a staff and not like independent contractors. So the the so you you guys got money from the mayor of New York, right? And that was to help Bloomberg. register people to vote. To How register black, black people to vote. Yep. That was that was huge, Steph. Mm-hmm. That was it huge. took a lot to you know work to put the proposals together. You go back and forth, back and forth. I mean, that's all Quentin. Quentin like the mastermind behind it, and the whole idea is to register black people especially black men and to engage them in getting in and getting out to vote so out of the work that you've done it's a lot i mean what are you professionally like what are you most proud proud of i would definitely say the collective just because i mean you talk about building it from nothing into something that has like real impact or has had real impact you know like we've helped to elect 70 plus people We've been able to train over a thousand black people how to run for office in a very culturally relevant way. Because when you're running as a black person, it's different than when you're running as you know another another race. Um, but it's like it's like now, man. When when black folks run for office, they gotta come see you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so for they us to be honest, Josh, it, it's been difficult to just manage the influx. Really? I mean, for the past before I got to Emily, I mean. Again, the majority of the time, it's been me and Quentin doing the work. There's been a there's been a span of a few months where we've been able to afford to hire independent contractors, but for the most part, it has just been us. Almost all the past six months or so has just been Quentin. So you know, it's just hustling. So, so okay, so I, I, my name is Josh Mercer. I want to run for office. I want I, I come see you. What's our conversation like? Well, first is you have to complete a questionnaire mm-hmm. because that gives us a sense of like where you stand on issues that impact black people. So, you know, we, we you know, we want to know, like, do you think we should increase the minimum, the minimum wage, which you have a lot of black tip workers and you, you have a lot of mm. people that are working hourly jobs. Do you believe in that? So that's, that's when we get to the whole progressive thing. Like, 
you know, do you believe in supporting public public school education? Man, that minimum wage, that hurt me. I'm a, I'm a small business owner. I ain't going to lie. <laughs> Pay, payroll tax, I do not like it. That minimum wage, how that, it jumped up from like, I swear it was like $6 one year, then now it's 15 well, or, now it's the 14. fight for 15. That's what the big labor fight is. Fight for 15. Well, look, but now you see all these all these hourly workers in the pandemic who is like, man, what will we do without them? Like, yeah. and yes, they should they should get an increase in minimal wage. And so we have a, a 40, a 40 question questionnaire that you have to complete. OK, and so also, I pass the questionnaire. Y'all like pass the questionnaire. And then we get a sense of like how your campaign is going. So, for example, let's say you're running for state rep. Or let's say you run for Congress. If you're running for Congress and your race is in, let's say, November of this year, and you've only raised $10,000, you don't have a campaign website, you don't have a campaign staff, you're probably not really seriously running for office. Mm. So because we are a smaller organization, like we have to, we have to support campaigns that are like already established. So we're not here to help you establish your campaign. Now we'll give advice here and there. We may refer different vendors that you should, you know, take a look at, but you have to come to us with an established campaign. And one of one of the I think the best things that we do is that we support candidates early. So, you know, before people got on the Stacey Abrams bandwagon, we had already given her five thousand dollars. You know, we had already helped to introduce her to Georgia. Georgia, yeah. She ran okay. for governor of Georgia. You know, okay. it's 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 people that have run for Congress. Like nobody. So y'all 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 gave her five grand. Yeah, because that's what. So that, what we did was. Did, I'm confused on how this. So people don't pay. So if I'm a politician, I don't pay y'all to help me. No, no, okay. no. So so in essence, what the PAC does is we get contributions from people. Okay. And let's say you're a donor and you mm -hmm. want to give a hundred dollars. And you say, man, it's this guy who I know that the collective has endorsed, meaning we've checked him out. We've said, yes, we're going to support their campaign. I want $50 to go to her race and then $50 can go to any of your other candidates. Oh, okay. So when you go to our website, collectivepack.org, and you see our candidates, you can specify if you wanted to go to one candidate, if you wanted to just be distributed across all of them. That's why it's about the collective. Like we are collectively working to help fund these races to help these folks win. Because for black people running for office, um, we, we usually get supported and endorsed by big organizations late. We usually get our money in late. We usually don't, don't raise as much money. So we're trying to help level the playing field for candidate for black candidates, basically. Wow. That's, that sounds tough. So in, in terms of, I guess, black agencies that do what you do, where, where are you guys? You know, in that. I mean, right now, I mean, we're the largest black pack um, really? th that is supporting black candidates. Yeah. Wow. Cause you have you have you have groups that do like black civic engagement work or they may just do like black district attorneys or black women candidates only or just black people running for Congress. Like for mm. us, we support black candidates running on the state, local and federal level. So you could be running for mayor or city council state rep governor or you could be running for congress senate you know we'll, we're, we're there to support those kind of campaigns dope stuff and so tell me future let's talk future right now 10 years 15 years what, what's what what you what know what about stuff? i want to be real active in the pta <laughs> <laughs> right that when everything else fell in place that's it i just i just want to uh i want to be there for my boys I want to be active in their school. 
Um, I want to take them around to whatever lessons they got to do. Or like, I, I, I've never been a person to like think that far ahead, like never. And I just feel like I, I really feel like I'm led by God. So me and God have these conversations. You know, I, I will say that I am hoping to get more into the lifestyle side of things. Like I love all the work that I've done, but I'm also a very well-rounded person. Like I love cooking and I love interior design and I love arts and crafts. And I love, so I actually want to do work that brings out a little bit more of that side. Um, I do like political commentary. And so I like doing that. I want to do more of that, but I also want to do like lifestyle commentary. What, what are some of the, um, the media outlets that you've, that you've had the opportunity to speak on? Um, I'm pretty regularly, or well, at least before the pandemic was on um, This Week with George Stephanopoulos, which is, which is on ABC News that airs on Sunday morning. That's crazy. I, I basically at least was doing that once a month wow. before the pandemic. So I hope to get back to that. I'm hoping to be an ABC contributor one day. I hope y'all are watching. Y'all man, know what I'm course, trying to do. Let, let me know. Tag me. <laughs> That's dope. Yeah, so I want to do that. I want to do more TV stuff. I mean, I've done CNN, MSNBC. I actually do MSNBC, used to do at least. Um, at least a couple times a month. I want you to talk about your experience as a as a trustee for Howard. You know, can you just talk about what that experience is like being on a board, you know, for, you know, one of the, the, the most popular black institutions in the world, and you're a trustee, somebody that gets to vote, make decisions, and fundraise, and see the inner workings of all of our issues that we have, and all the bureaucracy that we have, and all the good and bad. What's that like without getting yourself in trouble? You know. Oh no, I'm good because I'm not a trustee <laughs> anymore. Um, I was a trustee from 2015 to 18, so it's a three-year term. Mm. Yes, I'm not on the board anymore. And you wanted to quit on day two, didn't you? <laughs> what was I'm it like? Tell me what's it like. <laughs> I wouldn't say day two. Definitely not day two. Year two. Uh, you know, it. It. Uh, here's what I will say. It was never lost on me, like the honor that it was to be on the board. I mean, every time we would have convocation or graduation or in the, or even just a board meeting and just being in that space, I just felt like, oh, you are so lucky to be here. Like, this is an honor. And if I'm never on the board again, you can say that you've done this and it's been one of the greatest honors of your life. So, so to me, like, and I'm, a, I'm an emotional person like that. So I feel like every time we would have charter day, I feel like I'm about to cry walking down my little hat and robe and stuff on because it was just like man I'm on the board of Howard University you know Douglas was a board member for Howard University so wow so there's that and I, I would just say like I know that I had a voice on the board um whether it was always heard and appreciated remains to be seen um I think it is very 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 important to have former students on the board of trustees at Howard University. People who live, know, love the culture of Howard, but also have enough professional experience to wanna see it grow, wanna be um, able to have things enacted that's in a financially responsible way, but, but, but doesn't lose the culture and the legacy of Howard in the process. So, um, you know, I hope that we'll continue to have people like that on the board and people who it don't matter who's in the room is not afraid to speak up. So let, let's talk about legacy of Steph. When it's all said and done, what do we what is what is history saying about Steph? Um, 
I think history is saying that she loves her people. Um, she's a woman of principle. She's a woman that just did everything that she could to um, help the greater good. And she's a wonderful mom and wife, sister, daughter, friend. Um, I'm really, really big on family and I'm really, really big on, on friends. So, you know, I just want, I want my legacy to be that I, I did. If that's me taking a shirt off my back, I, I'm going to do everything I can to like help the next person. Well, I really appreciate you joining me, Steph. Uh, right now, we're going to do our little rapid fire. So okay. I hope you can get these answers. So rapid fire, you just, you just got to give an answer. You can't expound on it. You just got to give an just answer. So I got it. I'm good. Yep. I hope. So you, All right. So question number one, um, you got to pick one. Homecoming, graduation, orientation, or charter day? Homecoming. Okay. Yard fest or tailgate? Tailgate. So homecoming as an alum or homecoming as undergrad? Alum. Negril <laughs> <laughs> uh, or Ben's Chili Bowl? Neither. Love. So here's one, one of these you start. One of them you got to sit on the bench. And another one you got to cut. All right. Love, Republic Gardens, or 2K9? Ooh, on the bench is 2K9. <laughs> I'm starting love. Ooh. I guess, oh, that's tough. So you got to cut? You're going to cut Republic Gardens? No, no, no. I'm cutting 2K9. I'm cutting okay. that. I'm putting so you, Republic Gardens on the cutting our whole freshman year out, man. Damn. I didn't go out, Josh. <laughs> oh, man. This is what I'm saying. I didn't go out. Okay, okay. So you're going to start who? Love? I'm starting Love, yeah. I know you're going to start Love because you was a Delta by the time you was a senior. Y'all was just love. big men on campus. Y'all just ran everything. So I know Arlene was hooking y'all up to get in all the parties. Oh, yeah. So, Let's yeah. Show. Uh, U Street or Adams Morgan? U Street. Quad or the Annex? Quad all day. Fraser <laughs> Hall. Drew Hall or Carver? Drew. Kappas or Q's? Kappa, sweetheart. <laughs> Jordan or LeBron? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> My first reaction was Jordan because I grew up just obsessed with him. Sorry, that's it. But, you know, LeBron is hometown, so. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, good job. All right, now we got a little Jeopardy that we're going to do. All right. Um, first question, and it's all Howard questions, so don't, don't mess this up. You a trustee, you a Delta, Houston, so it's no pressure. I know you're going to get all these right anyway. Okay. All right, so um, what zip code is Howard in? Two zero 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 one. No, it's five nine. Dang. You know, I thought it was oh one two when I looked it up. Um, Dang. but but it's five nine. Maybe it changed. I don't know. Okay. What's the Howard motto? I know this. <laughs> Truth and service. Yes, there you go. You the first one to get that right. Well, what you know what this other guy got it right. Um, I believe this, in that too. Truth and service. That's good. This this Howard alone was the sixth mayor of Washington D.C. Oh, I know this because it's a woman. Um, you can't give me no hint. I give you a hint. Give me a hint. Um. They went to Howard. Come on, man. What's the, what's the first initial? 
I, I want to say this person is with is is married to someone that's super wealthy. That's a big hint. What? I don't know who the hint is. Adrian I Fenty. I see her face. Adrian Fenty. That's a man. Oh, Adrian Fenty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I wasn't even thinking about him. All right. And they, are not, and they are not married. Well, you know what I mean. They still dating. They're involved. They're very. You know? They are involved. I think. Right. Tell them to cut a check to the pack. And Baby, we trying. We trying. Actually, they can be whatever they want. And um, he's a Kappa, you know. Oh, he is. Okay. Tell mm-hmm. Quentin to get on that. Mm-hmm. All right. Finish this sentence. Reared against the eastern sky. Proudly there on hilltop high. There we go. Last question. What 90s sitcom was loosely based on student experiences of Howard students? I want to say a different world, but I don't know if that's true. Yeah, a different world. You know, Debbie Allen was a producer. Okay, I, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. So a different world. That's good. So good job today, Steph. So Yay. I just want to say thank you again, man. I'm so proud of the work that you and your husband are doing. Thank you, Josh. Um, you always been a mover and a shaker out here. So I, I thank you for taking the time out. You've always been accommodating to me. So, you know, if you need anything, let me know. Um, so if somebody want to get involved with the collective pack or follow you or, you know, be your social media person, you know, go ahead, drop it, drop, drop a line. How do they get in touch with Stephanie? Yeah, listen, I'm very for real about this social media job. Like I'm, I'm real serious about that marketing, social media, whatever you want to call it. Um, you can find me, I think, well, at least on Instagram and Twitter at Steph, S-T-E-F, Brown James. Um, I'm Stephanie Brown 33 on Facebook, but Instagram is best for me. Steph Brown James. You can go to collectivepac.org for more information about our work there. And then also check out emilyslist.org for more information about if you're a woman interested in running problems. Love it, Steph. Love it, man. Thank you so much again for coming on the show. Appreciate it, Josh. Thank you. Thank you for joining the HU Movemaker podcast, where we highlight folks that have contributed to the Howard legacy at the highest levels. To hear more interviews or purchase merchandise, please visit www.humovemakers.com.